Good morning, church. Good morning, church. It's good to see everybody. It, isn't it amazing? Uh, I love the fact that you can uh, uh, drive here in the snow and ice on one Sunday, and the next you can come in your shorts and T-shirt. So uh, quite a bit of a drastic change. Well, we're, we're glad to have everybody uh, here today. Uh, uh, welcome to our brothers and sisters in the Fellowship Center. Glad you're here. Uh, our live stream audience, uh, glad that uh, you guys have joined with us. And so we're going to ask uh, Christian Lowry to come up and uh, do our uh, Bible reading for us today. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? The Philip, then Philip began with that very message of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is the water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Amen. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, young man. Appreciate so much uh, our young folks coming and sharing Scripture with us. And, uh, you know, Paul told Timothy to practice public reading of the book. And I think uh, it wasn't just for him and his day. I think we need to do that uh, to our day. And we need to publicly be reading. Matter of fact, uh, in that story, we'll find out a little bit more later, the eunuch was publicly reading. He read out loud from the Bible and it invited a great opportunity to teach the gospel. So as we get started, out, by the way, I also want to uh, make note of Chloe Thompson. Chloe, Chloe is, uh, was fourth in region in girls powerlifting. She's in the other assembly. So you guys in that other assembly, y'all give her a, a shout out. A clap, clap, we'll clap for her too, okay? I mean, look, look, Chloe, it could be worse. I could have had you come on stage and show your, you know, your guns and stuff, but uh, uh, don't, don't mess with her, you know, right? So uh, uh, we appreciate and always uh, love the accomplishment of our young people. Well, uh, Al did a great job last week uh, laying out the uh, persecution of the church and uh, the Stephen's giving his life. In a way that really emulated Lord Jesus as he said, Father, forgive them. And I thought about how, how inspiring that is to me. That man, a man would be so focused on the gospel that he's going to just keep preaching it as the rocks are being thrown at him. Now think about that. He's just going to keep on as they're taking his life. And I thought, will that, will that ever come in my lifetime? It is, has come in our lifetime in other countries already, by the way. But will that ever happen in our country? I don't know. It might. Because our, our world and our culture has turned upside down. And so we better be ready for some Stevens to step up to the plate. And as that happened, Acts chapter 8, this persecution sends the brothers and sisters all over the country. On that day, a great persecution brought out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered or dispersed throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. 
going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. That I could easily see happen in our culture if we keep going the way we're going. Saul, we'll deal with him later. What happens in his life? Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So the first thing we see about Philip here and his mission is that, is that he's going to a place called Samaria. So the Samaritans uh, were, were, uh, and the Jews did not get along. You wouldn't go there to their house. And yet, this is where his mission takes him. So he goes to a place that is a different race and a different religion. We can learn something from that, by the way. And he takes to them not a message of how they ought to create and uh, make everything right in their social system or how they ought to change the government of that city. He goes in there with a message of Jesus Christ is your Savior. Don't miss the message. The church is here to proclaim the message of Jesus to every race and to every religion and to every person. Got it? Because the, the, the answer to whatever's happening in our culture is, uh, it, they're so upside down, they can't cre- get the answers themselves. Jesus is the answer. So, so don't doubt it. Philip didn't go in there saying, okay, if I got any believers here that are willing to carry some signs and pick it and let's protest somewhere, we'll make this thing change. He didn't do it. No, he went in there to a whole group of people that he knew as a whole disliked his own heritage. And he preached Jesus. And he helped them. He healed them. He used whatever power he had to mend the brokenhearted and to take care of the helpless. I like this part. that You learn something about the Samaritans here. It says not they saw what he did, but that wasn't enough. They saw the signs. They saw the miracles. But it said, get this, they all paid close attention to what he said. You know, it'd probably do us good to pay close attention to what's said about Jesus. And then, of course, as a result of that, there's great joy that fills this city. Which means, by the way, they didn't have great joy before. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery or magic in the city. And he amazed all the people there. He, you know, he, he put on a good show. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man's divine power known as the great power. And they followed him because... He had amazed them. Look how they fought. That's why they followed him earlier, right? For a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. So I love this. Philip comes into this city. 
He's on a mission to a whole different group of people in a different culture. He preaches Jesus. And, and as he's preaching, people believe and they're baptized. And beforehand, they had been following this magician around and being amazed at him. But now they really hear who Jesus is. Now they've turned their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And even this leader and this magician, Simon, says, hey, wait a minute. I want in on this. He believes and he's baptized. I love it because this doesn't show Simon treat, uh, or Philip treating Simon any other way than he did all the rest of them. He just went in there and preached. Well, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, you know, word gets out when people's lives change, doesn't it? Matter of fact, uh, some of you, your life changed drastically. Someone from your past said, he's going, he's doing what? He's going to church. Are you kidding me? Right? There's some of you, you know who you are. Your life changed drastically. And word gets out. And it spreads out here back to Jerusalem. That look, man, there's something happening. There is something going on in Samaria. There's a big revival happening down in Samaria. Samaria. And the apostles send Peter and John down there. Hey, go down there and see what's going on. So Peter and John accepted the word. They sent Peter and John to them. Now, when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be really interesting here. This is probably one of the most difficult texts in the whole New Testament here. But hang with me. We don't want to just gloss over and avoid difficult texts. Okay? That's no, that's no way to study. Uh, I don't want to get into the weeds too much, but I do want to just dive in and try to deal with this a little bit. said so that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. Actually, in the original language, it says that not one of, it had not fallen on any one of them. Now, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, an important word there, the fallen, because that's going to be a word that's used to describe other situations in the New Testament where the Spirit falls on someone and something happens, okay? <clears throat> they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Okay, let's just stop right here and kind of deal with this Holy Spirit thing. So, I thought from Acts 2 that when you heard the gospel and you repented and were baptized, you received the Holy Spirit. That's what he says, right, in Acts 2.38? And that's what happened there. But also in Acts 2, what happened was at the beginning of that, there was the tongue speaking in other languages, remember? And there was the, everyone noticing that and listening to the message of the gospel. And their hearts being pricked. And then he says, this is fulfilling what Joel said, that the the Spirit is poured out for all people. So, here in this case, they're baptized and it says that the, the Spirit had not fallen on them. So, does that mean they didn't receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when they were baptized? Well... If that's true, if there was a delay for somehow or another reason, God delayed them receiving it till the apostles got there. I think the only purpose could be to prove to those Samaritans that, look, you are just as valuable as the folks in Jerusalem, the Jews. And, there, and there's credibility there because the apostles, the same ones that were there in Jerusalem, now are with you. 
And, and they want to make sure you understand you're on equal footing. That's what a lot of commentaries uh, think about this passage. Another one, which I tend to, tend to believe a little bit more, is this. That the idea of the Holy Spirit falling on them was the uh, ability for them to do the miraculous gifts and the miraculous acts that the Holy Spirit gives as gifts. And here's, here's why. Because when the Spirit falls on, as opposed to indwelling, indwelling we, we have because we are God's children, Right? It's a, a guarantee from Ephesians that we, that, God, that we are the children of God and we're going to get what he's promised us. But the miraculous happening, the gifts of the Spirit, is something different. And so what is Simon? Remember, he's watching this, right? And he sees that the apostles lay their hands on these people. And, who, and, and by the way, he's not one of them. So they didn't lay their hands on every single person necessarily there. But they laid their hands on some people and they received or the, uh, the Holy Spirit. He fell upon them at that point. So what did Simon see? Well, you don't see the indwelling. What do you see? You see the miraculous deeds happening. You see the, the, the uh, miraculous tongue speaking in languages. You see the, the healings. You see the uh, uh, lame walk again. That's what you see. So I really think what it is here is that that the, the believers repented, were baptized, they became Christians, and the apostles laid hands on them and gave them the ability to do the miraculous acts and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, they were the only ones that could pass that on. Look, Philip had that gift earlier, right? Remember, he's healing people, thank you. But he doesn't have the ability to pass on that gift to other people. But the apostles do. And so they lay hands on him, and Simon sees it and says, what? I want that. What, the gift? No, he can already amaze some people with his own, his own magic and trickery. He wants that. What? He wants the ability to make other people do that. Look what he says. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability... So that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He wants to be able to make the group that he lays hands on have that miraculous happening in their life. That's my take on it. Now, if you disagree with me, that's okay. You you have the right to be wrong. No, not really. I'm just kidding there. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I, I I could totally be wrong about this. It is a difficult passage. But regardless, get, regardless of it, remember this. What the Samaritans got out of it was that they were not second-class citizens within the kingdom of God. Which, by the way, everybody we encounter in a different culture and a different race, regardless of where it is around the world or even in our own city, need to always understand. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And by the way, church, that means we don't treat people like they're second-class citizens. Now, let me just let me say a little bit about this. I'm, on, I'm, I'm trying not to get into preaching too much, but I'm failing. This 
idea that you can look down upon someone else and they're not as valuable because of the color of their skin is totally foreign to the church of God. It must not be tolerated one inch. I don't care what country you come from, what color your skin is, what your education is. Everyone is valuable in the kingdom of God. And we've got to put a stop to this racism mess. I don't know any other way to say it. And we preached on it at this church for a long time. But I'm telling you, we, our black brothers and sisters went through terrible, horrible discrimination in this country. And the church should stand up for them and do the right thing. We cannot represent Jesus when we're not willing to represent the most untreated people in our body. You would think you wouldn't have to say it, but I found you do. And you got to say it time and time again. Well, let's move on. You say, whew, I'm glad that's over. Well, i got news for you. It ain't over. We've got a whole other story here in this chapter about the Ethiopian eunuch. All right, so Peter answered Simon, May your money perish with you because you're, you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in the ministry because your heart is not right before God. By the way, Simon wanting to buy the, the blessings or the gift of God with money has not stopped. Do you know how many little churches are out there who are run by somebody that has the, 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 the more money than everybody else in the church? And so every decision is run by the money people. This ain't stopped. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. What a great response. What a great response. Now, it doesn't really tell here in the text what all happened to Simon. Now, Now, history gives you some bleak images of him that he kind of started Gnosticism later on and did some other stuff. But, but in terms of the Bible, all we know is that this is his response to the rebuke of the apostles. And I thought, what a great response. And when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So they keep the message going. That's the mission, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the world, they got it going on. Now, Philip, this is kind of, you got Philip part one preaching to the, to the crowd. And by the way, what preacher doesn't love a great crowd? Right? Al, isn't that right? Every, every preacher loves a great crowd. And, and what preacher doesn't love a great a crowd where all of them are baptized? Hey, I'm in. Give me that crowd, right? 
How exciting that must have been. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of all this excitement and growth, he gets reassigned. Now, some of you out there who have preached, you've been reassigned. You, you, know, you know how difficult that is, right? You're a part of something that you think is happening, going good, and all of a sudden says, you know what, we don't need you anymore. Uh, and uh, we're going to reassign you. So oh, Philip must have had a pretty good spirit of humility and openness to the direction of God. Because no preacher leaves easily a good group that's baptizing a bunch of people and everybody's happy with him. I mean, they don't leave those easy, right? An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian. Now look, by the way, he just started out down there. He just obeyed. That's the first thing you see. He's, he has humility, a spirit of humility, and he has a spirit of obedience. He's going to do what God tells him to do. So on his way out, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of, of Candace. By the way, that's a title, not a name. Like, uh, like, um, uh, uh, Pharaoh or Tsar or whatever. That's a, it's a title. And she was queen of the Ethiopians. She ran the show. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now that's interesting. He's a Samaritan and he's a eunuch, which both were forbidden to be able to come into the temple and worship. So at minimum, he was probably at the gate, uh, there in Jerusalem. But he knew enough about seeking God, he went there to worship. Now, I don't know what other business he had there as Sir Treasure, but he's there. And more than likely wasn't traveling by himself. Typically, somebody of that importance would have an entourage around him. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And he was wealthy enough to buy a section of the Old Testament, a scroll of Isaiah, which wasn't cheap in itself. And he has a a scroll of the Old Testament. And the Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Now I want you to know three questions that this eunuch says. Here you find the first one in 31, how... We'll explore that one. Then you find the other one, who, in verse 34. And then you're going to find why in verse 36. Got that? All right. So he says, he's reading in the Philip asking, uh, 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 do you understand? And he says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now think about the humility of this guy. The eunuch, he's an important official. He's traveling around and he's reading this scroll and Philip shows up on the scene and he invites him up. Philip just, you know, he kind of dives in there with a conversation. Do you understand what you're reading? You know, that could be taken the wrong way. Like, well, who do you think you are? Come along and teach me. If the guy had a lot of pride, he probably, uh, uh, you know, wouldn't have been open being taught. But instead... He says, how can I let somebody explain this to me? Now, look, I love this because this is a divine mission, a divine appointment, and a divine reading. Think about it. If you're a preacher and you're, and you're in their time, there's no New Testament. 
So what part of the Old Testament would you love to find a guy you want to convert? What part of the Old Testament would you love him to be reading? It's just by accident. Yeah, right. The eunuch was reading from this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who? Who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? So this guy has a willingness to, to learn, and he's diving in, saying, okay, I'm reading this text. Who's this guy talking about? And Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I love that. Just open up Isaiah and tell somebody the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Now, how in the world did he get to baptism from Isaiah? Well, look, you know, Philip's all about Jesus and baptism. He just baptized a whole bunch of Samaritans back there, right? He saw Acts 2 happen. He's repeating in Acts 8. And now he's telling this individual this. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesar. I've wondered that about Philip. Here he is. He baptizes the guy. And the next thing Philip knows, he looks around and he's in a whole other city. I mean, it's just like, you know, beam me up, Scotty, right? I mean, it's just a, he's there. Pretty amazing. I would have liked to have talked to Philip that day. Philip, what was that like? Hey, Philip, where you been? Well, you wouldn't believe it. I, Five minutes ago, I was baptizing a guy down there on the road to, where? Are you kidding me? So, Philip, in his willingness to obey, his willingness to follow the direction of God, has an opportunity to teach this one individual. This one individual from Ethiopia gets to take the gospel back to a whole nother group of people that have never heard about Jesus, and he gets to teach them. Now, I know you hear us talk a lot about discipleship and important it is to continue to teach people and bring them up in the Lord, and that's true. But that's only true as we have opportunity to be with them. But there's a whole lot more uh, of uh, uh, Ethiopian eunuchs out there that get baptized uh, in an encounter and go on their way. Look, just trust God. He'll take care of those people. You and I don't have to guarantee that we're going to stay with somebody long term and disciple them all the time. Sometimes that opportunity is not there. The important thing is get them in Jesus. God will give them the avenues and opportunities to grow up in the Lord. This church particularly has had a lot of occasion for visitors to come here. And have baptized a ton of people who went on their way rejoicing. I remember one time I was in a uh, 
uh, I was preaching up in uh, Connecticut, Waterbury, Connecticut, with a brother, uh, Jim Crisp. Uh, he actually went to school here years ago, and he had started church up there. And So I was there preaching, and this guy responded at the end of the sermon to be baptized. I'm fired up about it, you know, and, and Jim is too. And so the guy, he's, he's in a suit. Jim doesn't know him. He just walked in to visit that day. So he goes back. He goes in the bathroom. We go back there with him. We said, here's something. You can change clothes. He said, no, I'm not changing clothes. He said, I I, I came into this. I'm going to be baptized in this. And so, okay. And so we go right down in the baptistry. He's three-piece suit, tie, everything. And right there, we baptize him right there into Christ. He walks up out of the baptistry. By the time we get around the front, he walks down front, goes out the exit door, and goes on his way rejoicing. Strangest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> we didn't have time to get his name on a form and find out, you know, how can we sign you up for our Facebook page. I mean, we didn't get a chance. We just baptized the man and right in the same clothes he came in, he went on his way. And who knows how God used that man? Who knows? Well, Philip preached the good news of the kingdom. He crossed racial lines on both occasions, by the way. Priest, the good news, was open to the God's call to go wherever he needed to go. He was encouraged by the apostles. They didn't come, by the way, down at Samaritan to criticize Philip. They came there to encourage him, be a part of it. You see, when I look at this, the whole book of Acts and these stories that come about, telling about the movement of the church, it's not telling about how to do church. It's telling about the movement of the church. It's recording the history of what happened to New Testament Christianity. We don't need to explain the book of Acts near as much as we need to be the book of Acts. I went to uh, Biloxi, Mississippi this week. Uh, My daughter had an interview for a teaching job at a school of pharmacy down there at William Carey University. I said, William Carey, let me check this cat out. I know, I've heard William Carey, big missionary. Years and years ago. I forget how many years he went when he went to India. How many years it was, it was years before he ever had his first baptism. And yet he stayed the course. Started a lot of great churches. I think if I remember right, the quote on the wall, their new building that they built there, by William Carey said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And I thought, are we expecting great things? And are we attempting great things? I think Philip had opportunity to be a part of some great things in New Testament Christianity. And New Testament Christianity didn't happen back then. New Testament Christianity happens now. Every time someone responds to the message of Jesus, they're baptized into Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, 
and their disciple to be more like Jesus. That's New Testament Christianity. Really, and, and Tommy was mentioning this to me about this story right here. He said, really, Mike, that's, that's our message, right? Philip had our message. He loved God, he loved people, and he shared Jesus. And I thought, that's it. Tommy, you got it. That's exactly right. Somebody ought to make a t-shirt that says that. There, there is one, by the way, if you want to buy it. Uh, I'm not selling for anything for money. No, and I'm not trying to buy the goodness of God, okay? I'm, I saw that in that lesson. Being a part of great things for the kingdom is when we can really stay focused on the mission and the message that Philip had, that Peter and John had, that Jesus Christ can change your life. And this whole church is a room full of testimonies, rooms full of testimonies about how that is true from the gospel of Christ. You know, one man said, There isn't any place I'd rather be when Christ returns than riding shotgun in a 21st century chariot. And I would add, and sharing Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? When Jesus comes again, he bursts through the clouds and, and you're sitting right at your table or somebody else's table with your Bible open talking about Jesus. What a, what, what, what a way for the world to, to come to a halt. Wow. You know, our church has tried to preach the gospel and not get off target. Look, remember this. Don't get caught up. There are difficult things to study. That's fine to study in depth. But look, the main things of the Bible are the plain things of the Bible. Uh, we do try to mentor and disciple people. Remember where Philip came from? Remember a couple of chapters early? He was one that was picked out because he was full of the Holy Spirit to, to serve and wait on the uh, on the widows, uh, wait on the tables. Remember him? So those apostles had discipled him. And they had influenced his life. And now he's influencing the lives of others. Isn't that what it's about? I mean, can't you name? I was thinking, I was praying actually today during communion. I was praying. And I was thanking God. I like to look back, not just to the cross, first to the cross. But I also like to look back and think about. I was thinking about men that I've been privileged to have mentored me. I thought about Ray Melton and Randy Green and Tommy Emmon. I thought about men like Al. Couldn't help but think of Carl and Bill, who trained so many of us here. And how grateful I was and am for people who poured their life into me. Uh, we're fixing to watch a testimony of a young man whose different people poured into his life that made a difference as he came out of the world and into service for the kingdom of God. Pay attention. Let's watch this testimony. Hey, my name is Brandon Ward. I work with the uh, youth ministry here at WFR. I grew up in a, uh, a very broken home. Uh, my parents' marriage was ruined uh, by my father's pornography addiction. 
Um, and unfortunately, that was something that uh, he taught me um, as well, that, that sin drifted down. And I just remember just being so upset and so sad um, and depressed. And through that depression, I ended up making some very bad decisions at a young age. I didn't experience God um, until high school. I got involved um, with a mentoring program, and I was able to go to a youth camp. And I just remember hearing God for the first time saying, saying that he loved me, that he wanted more for me. Um, I was tired of getting drunk, smoking weed, uh, disappointing my parents, um, this pornography addiction that was ruining me. I was just sick and tired of it all. And uh, God was there with me, and he said, like, give it to me. And so I got home from this youth camp, and I was just convicted to uh, talk to my father, um, which we had lost contact for quite some time. And we'd had this discussion, and I told him I was baptized. I told him how happy I was about it, but I also told him because of the pornography addiction, because of the things I've seen him do uh, with women, I told him I had lost respect for him. My father looked me in the eyes after I was done talking, and he said, I don't love a son that doesn't respect me. Um, and he said, you can get out of my house. So through that disappointment, I knew Satan was pretty happy in that moment. He knew that he, he wedged something in there into my life, uh, which was doubt, um, which was fear again, um, disappointment. Getting into a relationship with a beautiful young woman, uh, Christian is her name. She's now my wife. Uh, so there's a good end to the story. Um, but at the time, I was a very unhealthy relationship. Um, I treated her very poorly because I did not know what it meant uh, to be a man, to treat a woman respectfully. I had a very bad image of what it meant to be in a relationship. Um, and the hardest time was when Christian's family moved uh, to Michigan. And, you know, as a young high schooler, I thought my life was over. Um, but a friend of her family's, he uh, saw that I was depressed. He saw that I was upset. And I thought he was a friend. But as it turns out that he had very different plans, um, his intentions were to just take advantage of me. Um, and for two days, uh, I was molested. And that was rock bottom. Um, I had lost basically everything in those moments. Um, that, that small sliver of maybe, you know, that Christian image of I, I can be this man that God wants me to be eventually, that all disappeared. And that's how I lived my life. I, was, I lived my life knowing, hey, God is real. Um, and he loves a lot of people. Um, but for some reason, he doesn't love me that much. And it wasn't until my senior year of high school, um, me just depressed, um, walking around with no identity, uh, scared for anybody to find out what happened to me, that I ended up making a friend um, in Harley Moore. Um, she was different, and I knew that she was a Christian, and I was like, why is, she so, why is she different from me? The way she just talked about God and her faith in those moments was unlike anything I really ever heard before. Um, it felt authentic. It felt real. And through that conversation, she invited me to WFR. Uh, I ended up meeting great men uh, like David Bromley and uh, Spencer Carroll, in my first introduction to really these men that at first I was really scared to trust um, because of these things that happened to me. Uh, but through time and just through just their perseverance and, and, and just their, you know, willingness to talk to me and spend time with me, 
I finally saw men that truly and authentically loved God. And I eventually worked up the courage to tell these men what had happened to me. And I expected shame. I expected, I expected something. I expected them to like pity me or something. But all I felt was love. I just remember breaking down um, and, and really experiencing truth uh, for the first time in a long time. Through the youth group, I eventually got introduced to uh, Zach Dasher and Ben Adkins and Gordon Dasher and these, these men, and they invited me to be a part of the college group. Uh, I learned what it meant uh, to lead and to be a leader, to be a servant, and also with uh, taking the time to spend with these men who were godly husbands as well, not just godly leaders uh, for the church, but godly leaders uh, for their marriage. I learned what it meant uh, to be a godly husband. I praise God. I'm, I'm so thankful that, uh, that, that God gave me the opportunity uh, to marry this young woman. Um, and uh, through our marriage, uh, we can glorify God and be together and serve each other and to serve our Lord um, as one. I praise God that he is so patient, but, but through time and effort, he taught me who I really was, who I really am, that I am a child of God, that I am a warrior for the kingdom, that I can stand up and tell the world no, that I can hear the lies that Satan has tried to tell me and to tell him that I know the truth about myself, that I can look in the mirror and be proud of what I see. God knew that he could get me here, but he knew that I needed godly men in my life, godly marriages in my life, godly women in my life to show me and to love on me and to tell the truth about me. Thank you so much for being my family. Thank you so much for trusting in me and seeing something in me when I did not see it. And I'm just so blessed now uh, with these opportunities uh, to serve at WFR. And right now, I want to take that opportunity. I don't want to take it for granted. I don't want it to stop with me. Right here, right now, I'm talking to you. You have potential. You have something inside of you. You have truth inside of you that God wants to bring out and do something incredible with. And I want you to learn from my story. And I want you to see that God is right here. He is going through what you are going through and he loves you desperately. Who are you going to be for God? Are you going to be a warrior? Are you going to be a soldier? Are you going to be a leader? Are you going to be a servant? Because that is what he sees in you. Thank you, Brandon, so much for being willing to share. Thank you, Harley, David, and Zach and Gordon and so many others that poured your life into someone to help grow them up and raise them up in the Lord. By the way, Brandon continues to uh, take courses studying the Bible from Harding and online and growing his faith. And, uh, and we are honored to, to be a part of that. Sometimes you're 
chariot moment happens in the hall of high school. Right, Brandon? Sometimes a chariot moment is at a camp. Sometimes a chariot moment is the Uber you step into. Sometimes a chariot moment is the lady you meet at the grocery store. The person you sit down next to to share a lunch somewhere. There are chariot moments for all of us. We need to be aware of them and ask God to bring us to those just like Philip with divine appointment, with a divine message that can change the destiny of someone we otherwise never would have met and been involved with in our lives. Maybe this is a chariot moment for you. You've never named the name of Jesus or been baptized into Christ. We're offering you that invitation. Or maybe it's a moment where you say, Mike, I want to be like Philip. I want to be conscious of whether it's a crowd or whether it's a one individual, I want to be thinking about talking about Jesus to other people. Or maybe there's some sin or something, weight in your life that you want to get rid of. Our invitation really is just for our family to say, we want to help each other, whether it's broken down by sickness, whether it's distracted by sin, whatever it is, we want to get things out of the way that we can just stay on mission, stay on message with the good news that changes lives. So if you have a need, our invitation is open to you as we stand and sing.